WBNE. Howdy, Yokes. Before we get started today, I want to let you know that this episode of Bacon and Eggs is brought to you by our patrons. If you love this show and want to hear more of it and want us to be able to continue to create it, the best way to support us is by going to patreon.com slash bacon and eggs and checking out all the really fun reward tiers we have over there. One of my favorite reward tiers is the $10 tier, which not only gets you unedited episodes of the show so you can hear all the silly moments that go into making it, but they also come out typically like two days earlier, but sometimes weeks in advance, which just gives you more content faster and they're longer. So, I mean, it's like a win-win all around. You also get access to our Discord server, which is just the most amazing community of the nicest people in the world. And like, we'd just love to see you there. So if you love this show and you want to support us, maybe check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bacon and eggs and sign up for that $10 tier. It's $10 a month, which is like two cups of coffee, like I believe in you, and it really makes a huge difference in our lives. Howdy, Yokes, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Edgehill. And today we're going on tour. Or maybe we're just moving back to France. So learn sign language. And question what it all means. Because today we're bringing you Sound of Metal. Not only are we talking about Sound of Metal, but we are joined by a guest this week who has probably the most impressive resume of anybody we've ever had on the show. It's not just the blue check on Twitter. There's so much more than that. Our guest today was just named a 30 under 30 by Forbes, like Forbes 30 under 30 in entertainment, as well as she is on the board for Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation. I am so honored and so excited to welcome Keely Catwells to the show. Keely, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, we're so excited. Did I, did I like intro you well? Was that accurate? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I mean, I definitely, I don't even, I don't have the blue check on Twitter. I'm not that, that, uh, <laughs> that update. <laughs> Do, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Plenty of people have that blue check that don't deserve it. John, let's, let's just point that out. John's got that blue check and he hasn't done anything in like 10 years. So Also, you, you said that Keely had the most impressive resume. I would be remiss in saying that your wife was on here one time, Tyler, and you're normally the one that mentions that. So, Well, my wife was on here and her extremely impressive resume <laughs> is married to me. Uh, <laughs> Keely, thank you so make, much for joining us to talk about this a wonderful uh, Oscar contending, beautiful movie that we watched. At least I, I think you think it's beautiful. I really don't know. Um, but let me real quick run down some stats. Sound of Metal was directed by Darius Martyr. It came out on November 20th, 2020, which is about 144 days ago. 144 is 12 squared. Uh, so it's a great number. Uh, we don't know the budget for this film, but it didn't make hardly anything. It only made $102,000 because it was a pandemic last year. The industry is down. Uh, it got a 97% critic rating and a 90% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and an 82 on Metacritic. Keely, what do you think? in a blurb of Sound of Metal. So I think I've got conflicting views. And also I just want to state that I'm a part of the disability community, not necessarily the deaf community. 
And the two are separate, although they do come together. And I only know disability through my perspective and my lived experience and not through anyone else's. But something that I found really interesting in this film and a subject that I think is so important for all creators to talk about and touch on is what do you do when a character in a film becomes disabled or becomes deaf halfway through a project? Do you hire someone who's non-disabled to play that role? Do you hire someone disabled to play that role? And and what happens? How do you make that work? And that's what this film really got me thinking about and having these conversations with the disability community and the film community and seeing what we can what we can sort out and how we can come up with that. Wonderful. What, what do you think of Riz Ahmed's casting or, or is that going to be like a bigger topic we'll get to in just a bit? Definitely a bigger topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ethan, what about you? A blurb, your thoughts on, on Sound of Metal. Um, from the perspective of a movie lover and a musician, this movie is, is like really tough to watch just because like, I, I know people this has happened to, not to the extent that it's happened to the character in this movie, but like that people that have, have severely, even at young ages, damaged their hearing through the playing of, uh, absurdly loud music. Um, and it's just like, it's, it, I really, for the first time in my life, I think was put in the perspective to some extent of what it would be like to lose that from my life and like the uh, what he goes through after to have it after doing that after after losing his his ability to sort of play the way he used to and having to sort of find a new everything almost it was it was heartbreaking to watch i i thoroughly enjoyed it as a movie uh, i know that it is um obviously flawed in in certain ways and it it'll never check all the boxes and hit all the notes but i i thoroughly enjoyed it as a movie i yeah so my perspective there i i really enjoyed it as well i felt like uh i've watched a few of the oscar noms this year not all of them uh i, I typically end up more on the movie side of things than the film side of things uh, and i think this categorizes itself more as like a you know capital f film uh but i really did enjoy it i I don't know all the behind the scenes stuff. I would love to obviously learn more about the casting and, and the, the approach that should be taken in these situations. Uh, but the final product to somebody who, who doesn't know what I should know uh, was a really enjoyable film. I don't know that it's my top contender for best picture, but I can very easily see somebody saying this was or uh, even somebody saying that this is their their favorite film of all time because I do think uh, the final product after the paint has dried it is a fantastic story and is a, is a really wonderful film. I think um, also from like the taking the good stuff away from the movie is that it from a disabled and um, perspective it shows that a film about the disabled community or the deaf community in this case can be successful and. Mm -hmm. We want to hear these stories. We want to see what it looks like. We want to see the stories that we really haven't seen before and haven't touched on before. And I think that was great. And I'm just so happy that that story, not necessarily the casting, but the story has made it all the way to the Oscars. Sure. Yeah. And not, not only the the story just the story as a work of fiction right like it's a complete as far as i know a complete work of fiction about you know this is a space where you get a lot of of biopics a lot of of true stories being told in the movies and not a lot of of these fabricated tales the way you would you would tell another story right it's it's always sort of been a separate and kind of other thing and i think this this movie goes a long way toward reducing that that gap that otherness in like this is just a, a movie a, a new screenplay just like a lot of other movies and there's a you know there isn't a difference because there isn't a difference right there doesn't need to be a difference um i don't know if that made any sense that that was a lot better in the <laughs> noggin than on the paper <laughs> well out of 100 where do we land on this film keely i'll start with you <laughs> it is it is a lot here 
I like I've got so many conflicting thoughts and views and opinions. Um, I, I'm gonna go out of a hundred. I will go twenty. Twenty. Oh man! <laughs> wow. Okay. Bad. This is a whole different conversation now. Everything <laughs> okay. has changed. Okay. Well, I'm gonna reserve my score. Then I'm gonna save <laughs> mine to the end. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, let's let's get into that then. Like, um, where does this fall short to start with? Let's let's go ahead and dive on that. Uh, football. For me, authentic casting is everything. For me, you can't have a movie anymore and not have authentic casting. You can't the excuse of we need a name to fill a role that's meant for someone with a disability or who's deaf doesn't fit anymore. You know, have the name in the secondary role. The truth sells. The truth wins. Diversity is is selling. And and how can we have um, disabled people who are as big as George Clooney and Nicole Kidman if we don't start to cast them. Um, so I really think companies have to take that opportunity of diversity with integrity. And if they're going to tell disabled stories, they have to include disabled people, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Um, so for me, it's it's really about the authenticity and that's where it's really short for me. I hear that. Yeah, I feel absolutely. That. So you, you own, and you were the CEO of C-Talent, correct? Yes, correct. You had an actor and I forgive me if I'm wrong. You had an actor in baby driver. Yes. How does that representation and experience compare here? Because it was a deaf character in baby driver, correct? Yes, it was. Yeah. So, uh, CJ Jones, who is in baby driver, he is a phenomenal actor. Um, and he, he tells this really cool story of when he auditioned for the role. And, and I mean, his perspective on, um, auditioning for roles that do specify that they need a disability or do not specify is really interesting. And the stereotypes that he has often faced and the myths and the biases of people and and um, and the way that he communicates it it's really fascinating um, to see that and but the role that he played was great because it didn't necessarily focus on him being deaf it was this really awesome character who just happened to be deaf and was the father of this guy and um, I mean I loved it I I think his role was fantastic and we've heard talks of Baby Driver too so we're very excited to see where that can go and how that role could develop oh my god I have no idea how that we continue that story but i would love a baby driver too <laughs> i mean he eventually ostensibly gets out of jail right right like, that's, that's the, i guess the, the whole thing is like, but unless you follow the line of thinking that he he died at the end but um, even even returning to baby driver is there an issue with representation with ansel elgort playing this character who has hearing hearing issues and at the end of the film does become deaf yeah it's that is a and i mean ansel elgort has all sorts of problems we we don't stand right <laughs> but <laughs> that's a, that's sort of a different um yeah bird of a different feather there yeah it's such a i mean the conversation again and once again like not being from the deaf community um but my perspective as a disability advocate and someone within the disability community who's really fighting for authentic representation and more inclusion of this incredible disabled talent pool that just hasn't been tapped into for so long you know i would want to see authentic representation throughout and if that means they have to change the casting, then I mean, I don't know how they would specifically do that. But I think authenticity and um, and inclusion and, and being truthful to to authentically portraying disability does go above those kind of technical aspects. And that has to be prioritized in moving forward. So I've got a, a few points to pivot on that. And I'm just going to keep asking you what I think may be hard questions. If they're like, if you're like, Tyler, tell a joke, just tell me and I will. Uh, in the notes you sent to me pre prior to, the, to this recording, you did note that Riz Ahmed, despite being a hearing actor and, and not being deaf, 
did spend two hours a day every day for eight months learning sign language. Uh, how does that compare to now tying it back to Baby Driver and a character in that? Like Jamie Foxx in Ray wearing the contacts the whole time and, and, and treating himself like a, you know, acting as a blind character. I mean, it really doesn't compare to lived experience. Again, of it's... Course you can train for five years and try and trying to figure out what it's like to live in a different body and in a, from a different perspective and a different lived experience, but nothing compares to, to the real thing. And you don't know about those societal barriers that you face uh, unless you lived it. And, you know, I don't feel like we should or could, and we can, we can't keep continuing to award actors for playing disabled. It's, we, there's a term called cripping up and that is what cripping up is. It sounds really rude. <laughs> it's, um, you, you know, you, you win an award for basically dif- disability is a lived experience. It's not a technical skill that one can learn. And if we continue to award actors for learning how to play disabled and winning actors for that, we will have a societal problem for a very, very long time. So picking up on that, sounds like you don't want Riz Ahmed to get any sort of awards for this for. <laughs> For this role right you're right no i don't but it is like a paint dried finished product where do you stand on sound of metal and best picture again it's so difficult because i like to see a story about disability or deaf culture in this case mm-hmm. um that has done so well so we can use that in the future as an example to say hey look how well this film did and it happens to have um it does have a, you know members of the deaf community within the in the film maybe not in the lead role but within the film and it's the story is um about deaf culture and um well it's not about deaf culture but it's it's within the deaf community and look how well it did it won an oscar so don't be afraid to tell those stories don't be afraid to include people with disability and hey let's take it one step further and have authentic representation in the casting um, so in terms of best picture, if it did win, I would not be wholeheartedly disappointed, but, um, I would just, I've just still got these conflicting thoughts of, yay, I like that there's a film about the disabled community right. that, and there's no authentic representation. It's very difficult. It, it's a difficult conversation to be having and I'm pleased we're having it because, I'm, I also love hearing the perspectives of people from the deaf community and the disabled community on this as well and hearing their views and their thoughts. And, you know, none of us are always going to be in agreement about things. So just continuing to have these conversations with people who are in, within those different communities and in the film industry is it's great. Sure. And, and and that's what we've learned a lot over the past, you know, five, six years, especially with every different kind of representation is that for a, a lot of people, it, it starts and stops at seeing themselves in the movies, right? Whether that's, whether that's, uh, you know, people with disabilities or black people or women or anything, it's like, you know, you, you can't take those experiences of seeing yourself in the movie away from people and, and we shouldn't. And that, you know, those are, are completely separate conversations. But again, this is one of those situations where casting Riz Ahmed does not really do anything for this movie in terms of like name recognition or, you know, it's not like he's right. a, he's a thoroughbred Oscar actor, right? Like this, this is the guy that played the villain in Venom and that movie sucked. Hey, he was also the pilot in Rogue One. Okay, and that movie kind of sucked. Oh man, I think we're like, gonna I, revisit Rogue One and love it. <laughs> I, I have no, I have no like issue with with Riz Ahmed's prior roles or whatever. But like, this is not a a movie where you could not have cast 
a, a, a deaf or, or, or at least hearing impaired person in some way in this role. Like he's just a regular guy, right? Like, yes, he can learn it all you want. And it's, it's the same with, with, uh, things like Netflix's atypical, right? Where, where, you know, we want to, we want to bring autism spectrum disorders to the front for a lot of people. And then we cast Kira Gilchrist, who is, you know, a neurotypical person to play this role where it's like, he's not, he's not somebody, right? It's not star power you're looking for. Like what you're looking for is, is convenience. And that's the conversation that, that, you know, needs to come up with these studios that are making these things. It's like what, what you want is somebody who can be outwardly relatable theoretically to the masses to get them interested in that thing. And that's just, that's got to stop somewhere. Not to say that, that if you have a, you know, if you cast George Clooney in this part instead of Riz Ahmed, then you have a right. But it's like, it, you're not casting George Clooney. Why don't you just go for the right thing, right? Like get somebody that knows, that has lived it, right? Get some, because you can't, you can't, he can hear at the end of the day, he can hear, right? He can go home and he can hear. And there's nothing you can do to, to simulate that, right? Like you could put an earplug, sure. But like, if he needs to communicate with somebody, he could just pop him out and talk, right? Like that's, and that's the problem. Yeah. You know, I think, um, shows like Atypical and, um, and this movie, you know, they've, there is this first step of, oh, but we cast other people in the show with disabilities. And, and that has been great. I mean, we've had clients on Atypical, um, and and that's been great but now it's taking it to that next step of hire a lead character who has a disability and not just in shows that are about disability in every show in every movie just we have to push forward the representation of of disability you know one in four people are disabled people don't people very much underestimate that number and we're a huge four one in four people we're a huge population. And it's not just in front of the camera as well. It's behind the camera. We need people in writers' rooms who happen to be disabled, writing all characters, writing all um, stories, not just the ones that emulate from their culture, but ones that are um, that are encompassing of disability um, or, or not, um, you know, in, in everything. And I think so much so many myths and so many stereotypes have been created because, you know, if we look back to Captain Hook and the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Joker, we've consistently been perceived as um, burdens or villains or, you know, the scary person. And our disability has been used as the weapon or has been used to victimize the character or to um, create this caricature, which, which has presented us in a way and and has a massive domino effect to to social to how we are in in life and how the way people treat us. So I think if we start with film and TV and we uh, integrate disability seamlessly into from entry level to um, to the CEO and beyond to on screen to behind camera, then then slowly things will start to get a lot better. But we have to be respected the same way as everybody else, and we have to have that equal treatment um, and be and be seen as, you know, as valued and be seen as, as wealth and why we need it um, and why it's so important to have that authentic portrayal. Uh, and, and the talent is there. I think yeah. a lot of the times the question is, oh, we really wanted to hire someone, but we couldn't find them. And in my experience, that's a bad excuse because we are yeah. everywhere. And in, in the a phrase that my one of my clients said to me the other day, and I love this phrase, is close your eyes and point. We are here. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. And I, I don't know if this is a pivot, but I have a few few questions. But just to speak on Ethan and I's personal experience, we've been best friends since we were, I don't know, 12? Uh, uh, yeah, something like that. 11. Yeah. We were 11 when we met. Yeah. Uh, we had very little exposure to, I mean, we were in like a 
gerrymandered school with white, healthy, wealthy kids. Like it was a public school, but like you ended up here for a reason. Um, and the only exposure we had to the deaf community in high school was, I mean, honestly, like pulled from this. This film is the foil to our exposure to the deaf community in high school. Basically, we had a, a teacher in our music department who had a son who was deaf and you know he was so i mean exactly like reza med's character in the film so gung-ho on my son will have cochlear implants my son will hear my son will play trombone my son you know, all of this stuff to the point where when we were in music theory class with this teacher i mean we watched a documentary about how these deaf communes are like i mean savage like yeah it was definitely I, a, a like a, the different side negative of the portrayal um, and I, I knew going into that conversation in that class, like it wasn't like I was indoctrinated into this and then felt this way for years and years. I think I could tell then like, this is a very pointed perspective. Um, but that was like truthfully the only exposure we had to the deaf community. I remember being kind of fascinated by that whole course and being like, I would love to learn sign language and trying to find books on it and trying to find anything on it. And like the, the content didn't exist or was not accessible to me. And so this movie was a, was a, was an eye opening experience for me. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I am, I'm, and, and likewise, you know, I'm someone who's in the disabled community and not the deaf community. I mean, seeing and seeing how beautiful that language is portrayed on mm. film. I think a lot of people will see that it's such a stunning language and there's so much history to it. And the community is so vibrant and, you know, incredible and fascinating. And, and I think, and people do want to watch that, but authentically. I think I, I truly believe sign language should be a language that everybody speaks. Yeah, I think like there's, there's my toddler speaks it. Why don't I, you know, like she can, she can tell me more. She can tell me all done, you know, but she doesn't speak English. So it's, it's so innate. It's so in, you know, inherent for us to be expressive with our gestures. I think it should, I mean, I should be taught alongside English and alongside whatever other, you know, dominant language of the region you live in. I agree. I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, accessibility as well is such an important point. And I just want to be conscious as well that this is a podcast and hopefully it gets yeah. transcribed so the deaf community can um, have access to it. And I think that's such a, a big problem that people don't, um, that people forget. And it's just because of a lack of education and exposure to the disabled community. And we need to just be more familiar with asking, asking people what their accommodations are and making that like a regular question. Well, and, and transcribing a podcast is not cheap. Like we, in the past, I'll be candid. We have not transcribed our show. Uh, I think we'll make an effort moving forward and definitely do something at least for this episode. Uh, but like transcription is not cheap. Like coming from the podcast community, knowing the amount of money that our show generates and knowing the cost of transcribing each week. I mean, it would, it would cost every dollar we make and more because of the amount of minutes and the amount of content yeah. that we put out across our network. And, um, cause we're floating a bunch of other shows not floating, but we are supporting a bunch of other shows that uh, are, are not as as fortunate as we are as well. So they're like, and it's definitely something that we, um, you know, I'm on a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast with a member of the disabled community who is constantly pushing for this kind of thing. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's becoming more and more a reality, especially because uh, YouTube's uh, caption generators actually started to get pretty decent. Turns out it can kind of keep up with us. It can kind of keep up with a lot of people these days, which is a fantastic thing. And and, the, and just another like free tool from Google to sort of make these things more accessible. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a uh, having the, uh, the audio medium here is definitely a privilege um, for sure. I mean, I can't imagine trying to interface with, with content like that if, if I was somebody that couldn't do that. And that's, you know, the thing we constantly have to be asking ourselves is like, how are we, how are we creating these spaces for people that don't 
necessarily have the, you know, how are, how are we making these things easier for people that, that already have it hard enough, right? That's the um, the constant struggle. Yeah, it's, it's not even that people have it hard because of their disability, but we live in this social model world where it, the social model of disability is where you know, we are disabled by the world around us because of the physical structures that get in our way yeah. and, and, and the medical model as well. And all of these different things, which continuously make life, um, more difficult and um, just creates lots of different ways for, for the disabled community to continuously be shut out from conversations and, um, and opportunities and employment. And I think um, also, you know, I would like to challenge companies and small businesses who, who may not think that they do have the, the means to create accessible content. I, it's a huge learning curve for sure. And it's challenging and, um, but if you look at the the numbers and the business case of disability and the business case of the deaf community, those are huge numbers and those are huge yeah. audiences and it's a massive untapped market that people are not um, are not thinking about and are not tapping into. And that's also something else um, that we do is is work with companies and consult to try and make their well to make their uh, content and everything that they do more accessible so they can attract the disability market, which is a massive untapped, uh, untapped segment for sure. I, I was reading that on your page that you, you write that the disabled, disabled community is a, is a trillion dollar market. Absolutely. It's massive. We have a huge buying power. That is so many dollars, like unfathomable market. Yeah. I mean, so it is, and, and I appreciate the challenge. It is certainly something for us to, to you know, be more mindful of moving forward. And it sounds like we may know somebody who can help. Uh, <laughs> Uh, was this just an elaborate sales pitch? That's what I want. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you more about characters in fiction and and you know, sort of across the board in disability, because outside of just watching movies and and talking about movies, Ethan and I are avid readers. I mean, we read. Ethan has read sixty eight books this year, and I've read thirty six. Yeah, I did. I have read sixty eight books this year. <laughs> Yeah, like very avid readers. I mean, we, I read more books than I watch movies. Truthfully, I was sitting there. I, I like to display a book on this shelf sort of related to the topic that we're talking about. In this, you don't even need to cast anybody. Of course, we'd love to, to hear from disabled authors and, and publishers. But the only book that I could think of that features disabled characters in any way was Hank Green's uh, sequel here. Uh, beautifully foolish endeavor endeavor and in that book he has to invent a disability so it's not even like he's talking about something established he like has to create this disability and it's like really sad that like, you don't even need to cast you don't need to find anybody you just have to write the character into existence yeah. and I, I honestly 38 novels 38 stories not a one and i'm, I'm embarrassed. embarrassed yeah yeah, I mean, I'm not so much familiar with the with the book world, but it's I think it's the same problem over and over again, um, especially with storytelling. And it's I think it's where does it start? I mean, I think it starts with the lack of the lack of access to employment of people with disabilities to be able to tell those stories for sure. Um, and a lack of education and knowledge within organizations about disability and how to include disability. Um, and it's it's a huge shame because not only are there incredible stories within the disability community, I mean, look at Crip Camp as well, which I'm so excited about and I really hope it wins the Oscar um, this year, But but also just how can we get people writing these stories to not just write 
characters uh, specifically with disability in mind, but when they're casting characters just to just to say, oh, I mean, yeah, they can be disabled and I actually don't need to change anything within the script. I can just imagine that character being disabled and that will add so much to the story naturally because they're just different to who they had in mind. Um, yeah, so it's a really interesting topic in the book world, though. I'll have to look more into that. And I wanted to ask you, because you're talking about just imagining this character being disabled. There are characters in what immediately comes to mind is television. Uh, there's a character in Glee and there's a character in Supermarket who are in a wheelchair. Um, as a, as somebody coming up, I thought that that was really progressive and really well done, but it wasn't disabled actors. And I don't know, I, where do you stand on, on those characters? I can't remember the name of the character in but with Garrett and Supermarket. I'm like, I want to see authentic representation. I want to see characters that are not continuously um, influencing these negative stereotypes that we have consistently seen over and over again. I think it's, um, I think it's lazy storytelling. Honestly, I think, you know, I want to see the disabled love interest. I want to just, I want to see um, the disabled lawyer. I want to see the doctor who happens to be disabled, which has actually been done. Um, I think it was either Grey's Anatomy or New Amsterdam. They had um, they had a, a deaf doctor and it was so awesome to see the disabled person actually being the doctor rather than the patient consistently. Mm. That's well, there's the whole show about that. The the good doctor or whatever it's called. Um, yes. I have again, no idea if that one passes the test or not. But Right. Again, not authentic casting. Yeah. <laughs> but... That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I, I don't think I realized how much inauthentic casting there was because as we've been talking about it, you know, I'm thinking about so many characters who have these minor disabilities, but then I look into it because it'll be a side character or, or whatever. And it's not authentic casting. And I, I don't know. I like, I was thinking about, we talked about Rogue One, Donnie Yen and Rogue One plays a blind character who, you know, has these sort of supernatural abilities. Um, neither of the actors who have portrayed Deadpool are blind or not Deadpool. I'm sorry. Uh, Daredevil. Uh, Hawkeye was a character who is deaf in the comic world that they just completely ignored in the, in the films. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> I mean, consistently seeing, and also just the language being used as well in a lot of these um, TV and, and film projects where they're just joking around and there's just this ableist language consistently. And, you know, whether we like it or not, we're always subconsciously when we're watching um, media, we're soaking that in and we're taking that in. And it's really important that we have people behind the camera more and more and in the writer's rooms who, who are disabled as well. Otherwise, we're going to consistently keep hitting those barriers um, and and, ha and coming up with those problems. I mean, I started to do kind of a very amateur study um, over Christmas. I watched a ton of movies and TV shows and I was trying to find um, the positive case studies of disability. And I did find a few. Um, I know that Run was on Hulu, uh, Kira Allen. She is incredible. And they did that so, so well. Um, I loved it. I loved that show on Hulu. I thought it was I mean, film on Hulu, I thought that was amazing. Great representation, um, definitely a catalyst to uh, to different and new disabled storytelling. Um, she did stunts in the movie. It was a great take. It was just, and she's authentically disabled, really well done. Um, but but there are still so many wrong ones out there. And, and as I said, with the language, you know, I, I 
noticed how many times they use like the R word in these movies. And and that's very upsetting and very frustrating. So it's it's not just like the representation of the physical uh, of the person. It's also the language throughout the entire industry. Well, so on the subject of the the movie we. On the subject of the movie we came to talk about, um, where do we land on things like Paul Racy or Paul Rassi? I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, who plays Joe, the the mentor that is a hearing person but grew up with deaf parents? Like, obviously, uh, to some extent, like I guess a member of the community. Like, you know, he, his first language before he learned English was was American Sign Language. Like, how do we feel about him playing this character? Where does that come down? I think. So again, as someone from the disabled community, not the deaf community, from my perspective, this this kind of goes back to that conversation of, um, I, I think he would fit in where you've got that conversation of the character becoming deaf halfway through a show. So sure. how, yeah. how, do we, how do we kind of create a solution which is the right way to do it? And I think that is hiring someone within the community who knows the culture, knows the language, has been brought up around, um, you know, completely in it and in, knows everything surrounding the community. Um, so I think if he was playing the character that became deaf halfway through the show, I think that would be better. Fair. I was, I was just thinking that as well. I was like, it wouldn't be the fact that it's a metal band is so like, it's so not that important to the show. It very easily could have been, you know, a Willie Nelson cover band. Uh, and you know, Paul Racy could have stepped into those shoes easily. Yeah. You can lose your hair and play any kind of music. That is for sure. It's loud. It's loud. And that is a, a, you know, a big thing that, that falls even on my shoulders sometimes of like being a person in a band that goes on tour and having to make sure that like the kids that we play with in these bars that are sometimes like, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids playing in, in bands are up there uh, with their amplifiers and their drums. They're not wearing earplugs. And it's like, I gotta, I gotta take these kids from Oklahoma aside and be like, Hey guys, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I've done this a couple times. I've been around the the block, I guess. Like, this is not something you want to mess around with at all, because like this is a, a in your case, a preventable thing that like obviously the not that, that losing your hearing is the end of the world by any means. But it's like it, it it's you know, he doesn't do what he's supposed to do in this movie. And, and that's sort of part of the story is that he lands himself in a situation he doesn't want to be in because he doesn't protect himself. And that's that's tough. Like, that's very common that this this kind of thing happens. Um, sure. I think what you said as well. It's really interesting and such a good thing to touch on too of like you know becoming deaf or becoming disabled is not the end of the world and it no. should never be seen as the worst case scenario i mean for me personally growing up always watching like medical shows and um, and tv and for my disability always being positioned as the worst case scenario and that was so upsetting to see and there's such a different side of, of disability and the deaf community of like that celebrate how wonderful, um, how wonderful the culture is because it really is a culture. So, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that was a great, yeah. a great point. Something really interesting to touch on. Like, well, and I, oh, go ahead. Ethan. And it's just, it's so interesting because it's, it is going uh, deafness, especially and, and to some extent blindness 
are like conditions that can happen to people that didn't grow up that way. Like all the time, like, you know, you look at a light the wrong way for a long time, your vision's gone, right? Like that's, that's it. It, it, You know, that, that doesn't happen with, with uh, some other kinds of things, especially, you know, things that are passed on hereditarily and and things like that. Things that, that, that people have to grow up with their entire lives. It's like suddenly you're, you know, 30 years old and you now have a, congratulations, you have a new disability. Here's the rest of your life in front of you, right? And that's uh, what I think this movie does do a good job of portraying is like the, the, uh, you know, not that it's the end of the world, but that it is a shock and it's, it can be hard to sort of, cause you know, we, we, the, the, the hearing, we, the able suck. Like we ostracize people like this for no reason, especially people, especially deaf people that, that we can't just talk to, right? Like that's the whole thing is, is that they don't, they no longer speak our language. So we want nothing to do with them. And that sucks a lot that we do that. People definitely forget that anyone can become disabled at any time in their lives. And the majority of us do become disabled if we are lucky enough to live that long. And yes, yes. And people, sometimes they, you know, they look at their grandparents and they don't see them as disabled because they're like, oh, it's just a natural thing that happens when you get old, you know, but it's like, no, they're disabled. And it's a great perspective and a great take, you know, of like this can happen to anyone, any ethnicity, any gender, any society, anyone from any place, you can become disabled at any time. And yeah, th- this film definitely did, did kind of show that this could happen to anyone. And um, yeah, that was really interesting. I did want to ask, um, this film does touch a lot on, you know, people can become disabled at any time and it, and it really dives into those themes, but it also dives into a, a, a major deaf community theme of like, we, 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 we the abled uh, have found what we consider a solution for deafness uh that from what i understand the deaf community has never been a huge fan of um like and i understand you're not speaking from the perspective of the deaf community but cochlear implants and and the returning of hearing give me some context and explain some of the controversy around that because this was something that i did i was at least somewhat familiar with but i think some listeners may not be so i think you could probably explain it better than i could yeah i think so from my perspective if i was watching a a movie and all of a sudden my disability was cured right i would i would and if someone said to me you know if you can everyone's response to this i think would be different there is definitely that everyone's very, very different. I've definitely spoken to people who um, would never not have their disability and they would never take it back or change what, if they, if they acquired their disability, never change what happened to them. And from, from my perspective, I would never change what happened to me. Um, But, you know, would I like to have an easier life in this world and it be more accessible and uh, yes, absolutely. But it's shaped my life in so many wonderful ways. And it's changed the way that I see the world. And I I love it. And I love the disabled community. I mean, my best friends are disabled. And I've just found this new world of like, vibrant um, people. And, and really, it's just it's given me this new perspective on 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 being and I definitely, I love that. And I, I think people often don't see disabled people or disability as a culture um, or as a community or as like a place where you can be happy. And again, that's a huge uh, misconception that film and TV have created that being disabled is terrible and lonely and you're going to be a burden and you're going to have to rely on people forever. And it's not the case. You can have an incredible independent 
or even if it's not independent, if you have caregivers, you know, you can still live the most incredible life. Um, but yes, there are societal barriers. So the conversation of like, can you, is it, are you, is it okay to be cured? It's individual. Everyone is different. And that's down to the the person, the individual, of if they want to take the opportunity of not having their disability anymore or not. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I can answer that so well. And I think I've just jumbled completely, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just really down to the individual. And my, me personally, I would never not, I would never take back my disability. Really? Okay. You know, I mean, I, I grew up, um, when I was younger, I had two fairly prominent figures in my life that that suffered from not the same disability, but sort of the same um, outcome from their their different disabilities. My my uh, my dad, one of my dad's best friends, was uh, spent his whole life after Vietnam in a wheelchair, as paraplegic. And my uncle, my mom's youngest brother, uh, was born with spina bifida and also spent his whole life. It, he never walked. He spent his whole life in a wheelchair. And you know, I watched it destroy one of these people, and I watched the other one you know, become a member of a community and, and, and learn to, to sort of live and love a new life. And, you know, he, he found happiness, he found marriage and, and then, uh, you know, spent several years of his life in a, like, uh, as, as, as like a junior monk in a monastery full of wheelchair bound folks. Um, and the other one ended up uh, taking his own life. And, and, and so it was like a very shocking thing that that happened when I was fairly young, to like watch these two different people, one of whom uh, actively avoided being a part of any kind of community and like saw himself as being better than his disability and, and let it destroy him. Uh, and the other one thrived until the day he passed away. And that was, that was two different views entirely in my life. And I am just going to correct you on three tiny bits of language that I feel like if I was, um, as a disability advocate, I feel like it's my <laughs> my duty to. Okay. Yeah, go um, for it. So we don't like to say like suffered from like if you've got a disability, like we don't suffer from our disability. We just we have our disability and um, we don't suffer from it. So we just try to stay away from the language of suffering from just okay. have. Um, and then instead of wheelchair bound, uses a wheelchair um, rather than being bound because we see you know a wheelchair as a mobility device, which is freeing. And um, it's, yeah, you're not bound to it. Sure. So not wheelchair bound. And then, oh, and then instead, of, and this is something I recently learned actually, um, instead of able-bodied, it's just non-disabled because it's, it's like saying that you're, you know. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can follow that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I learned, like I became disabled when I was 17. I had no idea of anything to do with the disabled community before that and the language and you know you're not aware of these things until it happens to you or until you're thrown into it and it's it's just such an interesting way to view the world and I'm I feel like I'm in a interesting position like so many other disabled people who acquire their disability later than later in life um, and also who's been in the entertainment industry for a, a pretty long time and seeing that from both perspectives yeah I will say that the uh, the powers that be have never been particularly good in my experience with the uh, language parts of things I watched uh, both of my parents spent their whole lives working directly with the disabled community um, 
and having to to deal with things like HIPAA and Medicaid and uh, who just decided constantly to change the language and never in a good way or a way that anybody seemed like they talked to a person who had a disability and just instead decided to place labels on it. And that was um, my entire childhood was was uh, my my dad basically coming home and telling me like, well, so this is this is what the government recommends we say now. And uh, none of my students like it. And I'm like, well, then, you know, he's like, well, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to call them what they want to be called. Right. Like that's, that was simple to him. That's Um, the big lesson we've learned over the past. I would say that's probably the biggest takeaway from my past five years of life is call people what they want to be called. Yeah. (laughs) One of the biggest lessons of the 2010s for sure was just, just ask people and then do it. Yes, exactly. It's so true because everyone is different. Like the way I want to be identified is so different to someone else who wants to be identified and everyone, like everyone's experience and everyone's preference is different. It's so true. And yeah, there's still so much pushback with the, oh, they, them pronouns are confusing to me. It's like, just, it's not though. Yeah. Like it's not, if you just do it for five minutes, it's not hard. Right. Exactly. Like, and it, yeah. it's just, it's so it makes somebody somebody's day so much better when you just do the thing they ask you to do. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, being denied your identity because of people's um, resistance or people's own limiting biases or, you know, it, it's so damaging and it, it creates such a horrible um, positioning within society. So yeah, for sure. It's like just learning. I mean, I think we're all learning and every time you meet someone new, it's like, everyone's different. So if, if I may ask, how did you end up doing what you do? Like, cause I, I can sort of guess that you're not American. <laughs> I might be reaching there. I'm not sure. You know, you never know with people. Not, not born American anyway. You may be. You <laughs> well, <know>. yeah. <laughs> so um, funny. I, it's so whenever I speak to my family, um, I'm British and whenever I speak to my family, they're always like, Oh my gosh, you turned American. You sound American. I'm like, do I? No, I no. think I still have my accent. You Not do. us. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, so I'm from the south. <laughs> oh, from God. The south. Uh, I can't hear this the southern accent. We, I mean, I was raised by by a news anchor, so I've got like the midwestern, ah. transatlantic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, my my dad was New York, born and raised. So. <laughs> Uh, and my mom was from from Virginia, where I live now. So I've I've got a little bit of both in there. Where you know, sometimes I'll talk like a one of the hill folk, and sometimes <laughs> I'll take some the dog for some water. You know, <laughs> it just comes out down uh, the creek. I, I I sort of got after my dad died, his accent like passed into me like a like a transferal. Where sometimes <laughs> I'll just be like, I'll run a whole sentence off, and 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 my girlfriend just be like, what you just what was that? Your father truly like my family's from New York as well but your father truly had one of the the best accents oh yeah of all humans yeah like, it's like you you picked him out of, out of queens for a movie and was like do this just right <laughs> would you like to be have a role in goodfellas <laughs> uh anyway you're you're you are british uh and now live i'm guessing in california yes i'm in la and the sun i mean this is like <laughs> the best time to be at my desk golden hour this is, my face. this is the key you just you're as a photographer you're glowing you're glowing, glowing. love it <laughs> i mean i saw my dog like pop in the background as well and his face was like perfectly framed oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so funny yeah i'm in um, i'm in uh, la in california yeah loving so, yeah, it how, how did you go from you know child in old london town to ceo of a talent agency in los angeles <laughs> 
how long have we got? Uh, well, <laughs> so, uh, I've half an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the short version, I grew up in, uh, in Sussex, which is just outside of London, countryside, middle of nowhere, country bumpkin, grew up riding horses. Um, my parents trained racehorses for a living. So I always thought I was going to be a jockey until one day my mom said, hey, you know, if you're going to be a jockey, you're going to lose your teeth. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to lose my teeth. So I stopped uh, riding and trying to be a jockey and and started dancing (laughs) and kind of cut a long story short, uh, got into a very prestigious dance college when I was 16, um, but fell sick pretty early on in that training and got hospitalized and spent the probably about three years uh, or so in hospital, in and out of hospital, uh, misdiagnosed, uh, gaslit by the medical system. Uh, they told me that I was making it up, that it was all in my head, um, in their words, that I was crazy. And it's been, I, I spent a very, very long time searching for answers and searching for a diagnosis. And um, finally, we we found a hospital that would listen, doctors that would listen and had the right tests and uh, basically got told that my my insides didn't work correctly. So had uh, an operation which went wrong, multiple operations oh. later, um, a long time in hospital, I um, acquired my disability. And uh, from that time, I was very, very depressed, didn't know what to do with my life lost my dream of being a dancer, was never going to go back to dance college, was never going to be a dancer. So um, I started an interning job at a talent agency, which was literally down the road from the hospital I was at. And it was yo-yoing in and out of hospital and going interning at this agency. And uh, I then got promoted to be the head uh, children's talent agent, started representing around 200 kids and getting them jobs and still trying to balance health and and this new job um, and couldn't really do it anymore because of my health. So just started my own talent agency, started representing my friends in dance college, getting them jobs and just kind of learning the ropes. Um, and then when I was finally better and well enough to get out of hospital completely, I, I decided to take a week and go to LA and travel and um, get on an airplane for the first time since everything. And that was a huge step for me. And I just loved LA. I just fell in love with the city. I decided that I wanted to move here, got a visa, moved, um, wanted to try my hand at acting of all things, which I don't do anymore. And uh, lost a job because of my disability. And they said that I would be too unsightly for the screen because of my disability. And um And that made me see the massive lack of representation within Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general. So converted my talent agency to a management company and started solely representing uh, deaf and disabled artists and athletes. And that is where we are at now. That is is an amazing story. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Who's going to play you in the movie about you if you don't (laughs) want to act anymore? It's the real question. That's what I want to know. (laughs) <laughs> Holy heck! That also that, that, yeah. so say, that didn't take that long. That, yeah, I mean, we're, we're that was three minutes. Tops. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> Put it down to a T. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's you, when I hear a story like that and think about the fact that I live twenty miles from the house I grew up in by my own choice. Like I want to live here. It's like, man, I could be doing so much. <laughs> I um, I just I felt. I mean, I selfishly, I mean, I just couldn't stay in the UK anymore. I was so tarnished by what it had done to my mental health and um, and the medical system. Honestly, I was just so sick and tired of it all. Um, as soon as I could leave, I left and I couldn't wait to get out. And, you know, my, all my family's back home and my family's the only reason why, you know, now I go back. And I mean, I still do business in the UK, but 
and it's great for some people, but for me personally, just because of my experiences, um, and I also got PTSD as well, just being in LA and California is so much better for me. And I love it. Just built a life here. And it's, it's great. I love the film industry out here as well. I think if you're going to be in it, you know, for me personally, I was like, I'll just be in it from here. Pre-COVID life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the timeline, when did you arrive like in LA? Unless you don't want to share that, which you obviously don't have to. Yeah, no, I got here in uh, 2000. And, well, my first trip was in 2017. And I oh, wow. kind of went back and forth a lot um, within that year to get my visa. And getting a visa is just a whole nother kettle of fish. Mm. And uh, got my visa Imagine. in 2018. Yeah, it was hard. Um, got my visa in 2018. I moved here in yeah early 2018. So been here the around three years. I don't know why. I just imagine you'd been here. Like you don't look like it's possible for you to have been here 20 years. But in my mind, I was like, she's been here for 20 years. She's been changing the industry this whole time. <laughs> oh. I Although I, don't, I mean, I, I don't imagine you're much older than 20. So that's obviously not the case. But. <laughs> I um, It's been a really interesting journey. And I mean, so many people have paved the way, like the fight for disability inclusion has been going for a very long time. And especially the one within Hollywood too. There's people out there like Eileen Gruber, for instance, who we actually represent. She's been, you know, flying the flag for a very long time and really paving the way and making it now, you know, our time. And there's so many people like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting time to step into everything. What's the like five year, 10 year, 20 year goal? Like what, what, how are you going to change the industry? And from where I'm seated in rural Virginia, like, how are you going to, I mean, you already are doing an amazing job of this, but how are you going to challenge the mindsets around me? And how are you going to change the hearts of those people that have those stigmas? And and what's what, what are we going to see in five years, 10 years, 20 years from you? I really want to see a world, um, and this is not just limited to the entertainment industry, but the entertainment industry and beyond, I want to see universal design. I truly believe access is the first step to inclusion. Um, there's the saying that, you know, diversity is a seat at the table. But what if you can't access the door to get to that table, mm. right? So I want to see universal design. I want to see access, education, employment, and action. Um, right now, we are also in the planning permission process in the UK, ironically. I had to build the world's first fully accessible film studio. And I want that to be a standard for all employers. I want to see universal design throughout every single organization on every single film set. And it just happened. And, um, and that... I think will be the domino effect to to people with disabilities being able to to be employed at every level of every organization. And, you know, I want the industry to not just reflect the society that we live in, but to be better and promote a better society that we could live in. Um, but, you know, 15% of the population is disabled. And I definitely want to see that reflected within every organization on the screen and behind the screen as well. Well, and that's the thing is, yeah, we, we not only telling the stories, but also having disabled people telling every story, right? Like that's that's, that's the thing. It's it's the same. It's the same across the board. It's it's you know. There's no there's no. You don't have to to everybody's experienced life, right? You know you don't have to. Uh, you know, life isn't the the property of straight white people. Like we know we're not the only people that have. Uh, you know, stories. We're not the only people that know about love and loss and and heartbreak. And that's so often how um, these stories get portrayed. Is it's just like oh well, you know. If it's a sad movie, it's it's you know a bunch of white dudes writing about being sad and stuff, and it'll be portrayed by a bunch of a bunch of white people. And 
you know? Well, and I mean, just think about it. We just heard Keely's story. It's straight up more interesting than mine. Right. Yeah. You've experienced yeah. A, a, a better crucible, a, a <laughs> more interesting crucible. Like your life is just plain more interesting than mine is as the, as the straight white man in this conversation. You know, I think every, every person's story is valid and interesting and relatable. And I want every story to be told. We need a true, when we talk about diversity, I think we have such a limited perspective of what diversity is. Um, there is such a breadth of, of diversity and intersectionality. And there's just so much that's untold that I want to see in, in so many different ways that can be told. So I want to uh, shift topics here. You had talked or I tell me about Netflix's $100 million fund for diverse creatives. Uh, I've heard there is mixed feedback. First, what is this? Because my industry loving brain doesn't know anything. Two, is this good or bad? What like? Tell me more. I saw um, I saw the initial release, I think, and they mentioned disability and they were so surprised of what a lack um, of disability inclusion was happening. And it's like, we have been trying to get this point across for so many years, you know, way before I was in, in um, disabled or even in the industry or even alive. And it's like, they've finally just realize that oh shit we need to uh, do something and put money towards inclusion and representation and um, and specifically disability and I think it's it's a great thing and money definitely needs to go to disabled stories and storytellers and inclusion and access and all of these different things um, so I'm happy that finally the conversation has shifted from let's just talk about it to let's actually put money behind it. Um, and, and I'm really hoping that from, from them doing that and taking that action that they'll see uh, a massive return. And also there'll be a massive surge of employment um, of not just people with disabilities, but people, um, people of color and, um, and, um, and of all genders and from every background and intersectionality. So, I mean, I'm pleased it's happening, um, but it's definitely been a slow process to get even to this point. Well, and let's make no mistake that in the movie industry, especially $100 million is absolutely nothing. Right. Right. Uh, not that it's not not that it's not great that this is happening, but that like there's still that's like that's like four Fox 2K movies total. Yeah. Maybe like half of a Marvel. Film. It's like, yeah, it's like half of a Star <laughs> Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to see where it's going. I I have clients um, who have incredible works that they've been pitching and trying to get in the door for a very long time. And I want to see where this is going. I want to see where this is being spent. So I can't wait to see what happens to this um, and how hopefully it can kickstart more, more, more incentives and more funds towards. Sure. Well, and surely these uh, streaming services just absolutely churning and burning through content left and right uh, can only help this, even if just the fact that they're eventually going to run out of really boring white people stories, hopefully very shortly. Well, um, I mean, like Netflix is putting out, what, 52 original films this year, right? At least. Yeah. Something like that. Do you know, Keely, do you know how many of those have disabled actors portrayed accurately portraying accurate characters i do not know the specific stats of being like up to date um mainly because also there's a very huge lack of reports surrounding disability i mean mm. i think there's only ever been one report done of people with disabilities behind the camera and that being actually kind of you know calculated 
Um, but I know that, you know, less than 5% of, um, there is less than 5% portrayal of characters with disabilities. And um, I think less than 2% of that five, or less than 1%, let me get my numbers right. <laughs> less than 1% of that 5% is authentically portrayal. Fortunately, so, less than two is also less than one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I may have completely messed up those stats, but that's the one that I remember. Um, and that's relatively recently from the past couple of years. Um, there may they may well be a more up-to-date one, but that's that's the one that I know of. So what can what can I do? What can I do to, to help this cause? Is I mean, is my whole approach like social media act? activism where I'm sharing posts stories or is there like actionable steps that I can take again and also beyond voting with my dollar and paying to see films that that are created by and starring well cast and well hired well employed uh, folks with disabilities I would say create accessible content and um, you know everything from on social media having image descriptions to I noticed you do that right it's it's something that gets overlooked all the time and um and, it, and it's really important that, you know, everyone can access it's It's just equal treatment. And, um, and again, like with transcribing or having interpreters, because not every, um, not everyone from the deaf community reads and writes, you know, they, they speak in uh, BSL and ASL. So just having accessible content being as accessible as possible. And just, I mean, I think internet activism is great. I'm a huge fan of like reposting and and social media and sharing, but as long as it's accessible. I mean, accessibility is like my main, <laughs> just such a preacher for accessibility. <laughs> and you looked like you were going to say something. That's why I didn't say anything. Oh, um, I got no, sorry. Zoom exploded on me. Oh, <laughs> I've been trying to get it back. Accessibility being the key for, for creatives like, like ourselves, people who are putting content out there. And then for consumers, it's it's voting with your dollar, right? It's saying, I like this content, I want to see more of it, or I don't like this content, I don't want to see more of it. Absolutely. And getting in the conversation and educating themselves and yourselves, and I'm still educating myself and learning more and more about um, other people's perspectives and their lived experiences and uh, the way and trying to understand the way that they see the world. And what barriers they're consistently up against and just trying to support those voices. And uh, yeah, I, it's so important for sure. Are you back in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm having internet troubles, um, which is not ideal, but you got that giga blast. Giga second. Don't talk to me about Cox. <laughs> <laughs> they refuse to come to my house to bury my cable. It's very frustrating. Can't mow. There's a cable in my yard. <laughs> COVID life technology. Oh, so, <laughs> they so dig a hole on the subject of voting with our dollar. Like, should we, or should we, I guess, uh, I, I should not vote with my dollar to watch the sound of metal because I should not support Jeff Bezos and it's on Amazon prime, but that's a whole different, uh, subject should i give this movie my dollar oh man back to this again like my conflicting thoughts of yay for stories surrounding the deaf community and disabled community but done for non-authentic representation i would say i would say choose wisely and advocate for authentic representation and Fair. tell your reason why you're giving you a dollar or not well and, and so flip side of that i think as somebody who's not a member, I would think lifting this film could maybe be a catalyst down the line. Who knows? I do think voting with your dollar to see this over, let's say, trying to think of a movie. All movies have been are gone to me. What movies exist? Uh, <laughs> what kind of movie like, are you looking for? Something like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. 
there are no disabled characters. There is no disabled disability representation whatsoever. I feel like there's no anything representation. Uh, correct. There is a black kid. Uh, <laughs> I feel like putting my dollar towards this is doing more for the disabled community than putting my dollar towards. Well, obviously, J.K. Rowling is the worst, but but you, you get the idea. And, and in 2001, when she put that movie out, she wasn't. We didn't know she was the worst. Uh, correct. Like, I mean, yes. Does yeah, that I make sense? I from yes, from my personal perspective, not speaking on behalf of the entire deaf and disabled community, just speaking right. from my perspective. Yes, I think you are correct with that. As, and yeah. it, it, these are such interesting conversations because, like, you know, we we are not all the same as people. And like the sad truth of it is, is this movie probably went a long way toward humanizing deaf people to a lot of folks, um, you know, and that may be less true than some other. You know, I don't necessarily know. There's a ton of like uh, closed minded people seeking out this movie, yeah. looking to get a minds changed. Yeah. Thousand dollars. Um, but like it, it's always these conversations of like, yes, they should have been made different. But now that we're now that they are made, is there something that they can offer? And I think in the case of this movie, the answer um, is probably yes, because things like this are going to show people that may not otherwise think so that there are uh, vibrant and and valid stories to be told about people that don't look like them. Um, and that's constantly what we're we're battling with when, you know, when Marvel makes movies like like Black Panther, make uh, you know, a movie about black people by black people. Um, for black people that upset ignorant white people. And like, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Um, it's a good movie. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what point I was trying to make there. <laughs> well, here's, that, here's like, my question, Keely. Tell me if this is a bad metaphor. Tell me if I'm missing the point entirely. But like, as we've developed pigments and paints for a long time, we painted with lead-based paint, right? We made beautiful works of art that have lead in them but they're wonderful, fantastic works of art that provided accessibility for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to put paint on canvas. But now that we know that that's dangerous and harmful, we apply the technology, we apply the research and the hours to how can we make this better and safer? Is that is this film a painting made of lead-based paint? I think it's a great metaphor um, in general about, you know, what has been done wrong in the past and what can we do better in the future and learning from those um, those mistakes so they don't happen again and what do we need to put in place so we can do better um, but I think we've had enough of those like it's about time that we learn from those mistakes um, but I do think with this movie and creating it as like a case study of like this is what worked this is what didn't work this is what was great and this was what wasn't and if we made it again this is what we would do different and I think um, that being acknowledged is yeah a great way forward. Well, and, and it, I mean, it's important to point out, we'll know more after Oscar season, but like Amazon is not stingy with their budgets when it comes to fighting the streaming war. Like this Lord of the Rings show they've got coming out was a billion dollars. I'm willing to bet this movie cost more than uh, $102,000 to make. It's less than 5 million. Less than 5 million. Yeah. My money is on more than 102,000. <laughs> which yeah. is what it made. That's nothing. The Oscar might help it. It may bump it up a few million dollars. But like at this point, you cast Riz Ahmed, it didn't work. You didn't make any money. Nobody saw this. Like the only reason we're talking, I didn't know it well, existed until it was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, and I like know the, like I pay attention. I look at these things and Amazon Prime Video isn't, I think this is what they want to be, but it's not Netflix. It's not Disney plus it's not even Hulu where people just browse and watch what they think looks good. I think Amazon Prime you go to because you know, there's a film that you want to see that's on it. Mm. 
Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I mean, again, it's like we need to be, there needs to be educated perspectives from, there needs to be everyone in the room, everyone in the room who has, is from a different culture, brings a different perspective. We have to have that diversified, varied, true and honest representation of, of every person who obviously and should not have the weight of the everyone in their community on their shoulders because that's not right. Um, but just having that knowledge of those people in the room, I think will create something that sells and will be good to have out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, true inclusion sells true truth wins at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. And that is obviously the goal is to get the stories about people like this played by people like this written and directed by people like this. And you know, that's just where we got to go. I mean, it's, 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 it's time. It's been time uh, sort of across the board. Uh, it's been time. Yeah. And the talent is there. I, I, that's such a common question. It's like, oh, we can find the talent. You know, the talent is there. Um, oftentimes, yeah. disabled people would take untraditional routes, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. You just have to know where to look. Well, and now we do. And and especially behind the camera, it's like like there's so much value to these different from the the the, you know, your your standard movie going audience. Like there's so much beauty in these stories that it's it's just a shame they're not they're constantly not being told because they're different. They're different from the Hollywood standard. And I am, I'm very glad there are people um, like, like you and your company out there trying to get these things changed, trying to get things made better and, and trying to get these stories told. That's, that's incredible to, to be able to have this conversation and, and talk about this and learn about this. Like this is, this has been incredible. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, it's such an interesting subject and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much depth to it. There's so much beauty in different cultures and learning from people, different people's perspectives. And, um, I can't wait to keep learning more from the deaf community and their perspectives on this film. Um, but from a disability standpoint, it's, it's been really interesting to see that kind of, and have those conversations about, yeah, what does happen when a, when a character becomes disabled halfway through the movie. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And now we gotta, now we gotta get people to also write books about this stuff as well. So these stories are told, um, to just get to put these characters across the board in media because they're sort of not, and that's garbage. Like, and I know that we have a big problem with stuff like this in America. Like people don't, people in America, especially don't even read books that were written in other languages and have been translated, right? Like the, the view f frame of mind is so narrow sometimes. Like it's, it's crazy that movies like this even get made in the first place. Definitely. In America, do not watch movies not spoken in English. Yeah, that's true. We just Man. remake them worse. Yeah. Hashtag cancel train to Busan, please. Which is my, you know, I just want to come to everyone and say, go watch Parasite again, because uh, I loved it. it so good. Yeah, go watch any movie made by a foreign director in their their native style, their native language. It's so fascinating and interesting. God. Yeah, that's so interesting. And again, like it's just like an ASL, right? ASL is a language of its own, and we should have directors... Um, who use ASL and have stories told in ASL, you know, right. foreign movies, we should have stories completely in ASL. I think that would be great. Right. Cause you, yeah, you can watch a movie that's subtitled in any language and understand it. Even if you don't speak the language, like th that's the thing is, 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 is ASL is, is considered by so many people not to be a language in the same way that, you know, Spanish is a language, right? Like it's different to them, but it, if there's anything, if there's any language on earth that's ever been made for the movies, it's, it's sign language. It's any kind of sign language. 
I, I, I remember, I don't know if it was in college or in high school, but I remember there was a situation where if you took an ASL course, it did not count as a language course, <laughs> but Latin did. And that felt weird to me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And you had like a language requirement. That's what I wanted to learn. And instead I was translating. Oh, I don't even remember what I translated. <laughs> that didn't happen. And yeah, nobody made you take Latin. I know. Why did I do that? I like you studied Spanish. So Ethan got his degree in Spanish and spoke fluently throughout our entire education. We lived together pretty much throughout all of, all of college. I would say that I was 40% fluent in Spanish, having not taken a Spanish class since I was 14 years old. Wow. Like, Impressive. and I just refused to in college. Like we had to take up to like a 200 level in college and I just refused to do Spanish. I was just like, nope, I'm going to learn Latin and Italian. I'm going to tell and you. I can't speak either of them. It's a skill you got to practice daily though. Because it just <laughs> do you, do you goes lose it? away. <laughs> I would have an easier time picking it back up than somebody who never has. Sure, but like, I if if you drop me off in the middle of, of Paraguay right now, I would be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I am your typical privileged Brit who has not had to speak any other languages. So I'm. I would love to be able to learn multiple different languages, but. I know the other day my girlfriend was like, man, I wish I grew up in Europe because like they all know other languages. And I'm like, a lot of them, a lot of them don't. <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> don't. Like. No, definitely not. I mean, I, I wish I could say that I knew a little bit of French. I mean, I've yeah. tried to learn a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit, but no, terrible. Well, Keely, what, what are your final thoughts here? What is What did you want to say? to our audience that we have not already said, because I think we're at a point where like, we typically do like a ranking and big board and stuff. I don't think that's super appropriate with the content that we've discussed today. So I, I just want to like skip that uh, because I honestly have no idea, like the zero out of a hundred that we talked about, I have no idea after this conversation where I would put it. Sure. Yeah. And, and I don't want to subject myself to that. Uh, <laughs> so are there any final thoughts you want to share with our audience that, you know, my, my amateur interviewing skills have missed? <laughs> final thoughts. Go and hear the perspectives of people from the deaf community, other people in the disabled community, and and see what they have to say, because I'm still, I'm still getting loads of different comments from everyone. And it's so fascinating to kind of piece those all together and then come up with your own thoughts. Um, so yeah, just go and talk to people within those communities and ask them. But I think at the end, and the end of the day, the biggest lesson is authenticity wins, um, create access, hire people with disabilities and people of all diverse, um, from all backgrounds, um, and in every position of your organization. And, and that will, at the end of the day, be, be the best thing for your movie. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of Keely, if you just search her name on any podcast app, she's appeared on a variety of different shows with hosts who are much more qualified to talk about this, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> uh, no. that, that I I've listened to a few of them and, and always a fascinating guest on any podcast. You might find something new that you absolutely love. Uh, so I recommend that as well. Even do you, do you have anything to say? I was just going to say, do us a favor real quick. What recommend me some movies? Oh yeah. What does it well? Okay. Uh, run definitely on Hulu okay. around um, another movie or TV shows or anything. They, they can be people that you've worked with or not just what, what, yeah. What does it well? What, what got it right? Okay. Oh man, I get this a lot and I'm surprised to still have surprisingly not made a list. Um, that is my homework, I think, to say. Uh, who did it well? 
Look, I, I have a, a question yeah. on one that I don't know if it did it well. And I don't know if you're familiar with the film. Uh, Warwick Davis and, and Willow playing a small character that's like integral to the part of the story. Where, where does that land? I haven't seen Willow. Oh my God, go watch it. You're going to love it. It's so good. I will. I <laughs> but Warwick Davis, he plays such awesome characters. Yes. He has a way of playing characters. And his disability is never, he, I don't think he's ever played specifically a disabled character, but he is just awesome. He played a character recently um, and he was like a, a hitman or a drug dealer or something. Um, he does all sorts of silly roles. He's so good. so good. I loved it. It was I, so good. Yeah. His, his films are great. There are several Peter Dinklage top. movies where he plays hitmen as yes. well, which are fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I will say on the topic of Warwick Davis and books, I did read his autobiography this year, which I guess does count <laughs> as a book that has somebody with a disability yeah. <laughs> in it. Yeah, that might. Be. Uh, so, I if you haven't read that, highly recommend. It came out in like 2010, so it's a little dated on like projects that he's done, but fantastic. Yeah, I definitely will. I haven't read that one. And we can we can recommend Baby Driver. Is that one that that we're cool with? Well, sure. <laughs> cool. But Baby Driver does have like Ansel Elgort and Kevin Spacey in it, though, so it's, it's yeah. not without problems. <laughs> For totally other reasons. You can't, you know, you, there's only so much you can hold the movie against things that people in the movie did after they were in the movie. Yeah. Um, not to say that you should, you know, go buy a hundred copies or mail Kevin Spacey a bunch of money, but like, you know, you could probably, you'd probably be okay watching the movie. Um, just remember that like people are complicated and sometimes people do horrible things and uh actors are not by any means um immune to that or in any way forgiven for those things i don't know what i'm saying anymore i've learned so much i have too yeah a lot of thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with us and taking the time to uh, give us the, the the lowdown on some things. Oh, for sure. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a great conversation and love your guys' podcast. Do you listen? Do you listen to our podcast? I have. I have fun. I have listened to a lot of your, your podcasts. I think they're great. No way. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I didn't think you did. I like, Video can see the face I'm making, but audio cannot. <laughs> truthfully, like we get reached out to like, not often do we talk to somebody whose agent reaches out to us, mostly because when if somebody's agent reaches out to us, I just ignore the email. But yours, I was like, this looks super interesting. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I generally just assume that they go to like the iTunes top charts and they're like movie podcasts and just contact everybody. So the fact that you've we, heard our voice. We would like to come talk about this horror short film that we have at this, <laughs> this horror festival. And I'm just like, this is we're not your audience. We're yeah. not your audience. Like, I'm very happy for you that you got in the, the Federico Fellini horror festival but like it is not our scene at all it's <laughs> too funny uh well Keely, well, thanks is, for hanging out with us i have nothing else to say yeah this has been an absolute blast thank you so much for your time um i hope that that you continue to be able to do the great work that you're doing and that things get uh easier to move out of the way things that the that the roadblocks are taken down dismantled board by board Thank you so much, you guys. This has been great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Ethan, do you wanna do you wanna sing us out? Yeah, I'll roll us out real quick. Uh this has been another episode of Bacon and Eggs. 
Uh, our our graphics are by Vaishnav Brandon, Graphite WMB on Instagram, and our music is by Andrew Scott Bell, andrewscottbellmusic.com. Keely, where can we find you on the internet if we want to learn more about you and the things you're doing and, and possibly help in some way? Uh, you can definitely find me on Instagram, uh, Keely Catwell is just my name, and then also C Talent, which is the letter C Talent. And then our website is ctalent.org. Um, and then my website is keelycatwells.com. Very simple. Super simple. Wonderful. Well, I, you know, that's, that's all we got to say about that on behalf of bacon and eggs, WB and E. Uh, my name is Ethan Etchell. That's Tyler Carlin. That's Keely Cat Wells. And until next time, Arrivederci. American sign language.